0: Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate and, in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. All right, and good morning, everybody.
1: I'd like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. This is Good Morning New York, and I'm your host, Vince Rocco. We are coming to you live uh, from New York City on this Tuesday morning, February 2nd, 2016. And it is Groundhog Day today. And guess what? What? Do we know? Did he see a shadow? <laughs> he did. So that's six more weeks of winter. But you know what? We can't complain because winter this year hasn't been so bad. I really. He
2: hit. Nearly 60 in New York yesterday.
1: Uh, Well, and today's supposed to be even hotter, but I mean, this is ridiculous. One snowstorm, a couple of cold days in January, but, you know, nothing to write home about. Um, So, six more weeks. Get ready. I have my boots in the hallway. They're not leaving until March. (laughs) (laughs) We are starting a new series today. We are calling it Superstar Brokers in New York City, and that voice you heard just a little while ago is one of those superstars here in New York. Brian Lewis, we'll get to him in a minute. In a field of tens of thousands of real estate agents, 20% of these agents do 80% of the deals, and within that 20%, there are breakout agents that have built tremendous businesses and earned substantial income selling real estate. We're going to highlight as many of those agents this year as we can, and as I said today, we're going to start off with One of them, Brian Lewis, who is here in studio with us. But first, let's get to some news items. Just over $10 billion worth of New York City homes traded hands during the fourth quarter of 2015. This, according to data released Wednesday by the Real Estate Board of New York. That figure was up 3% from a year earlier, which the board viewed as a sign of overall strength in the housing market. REBNY, by the way, is a trade uh, association representing large developers and landlords and agents here in New York. They track... They tracked the same growth in the number of transactions with 12,021 properties changing hands during the fourth quarter. The biggest gains, surprisingly, in the number of sales were in Queens, Staten Island, and the Bronx, not in Manhattan. An investment uh, partnership sold a gut-renovated early 20th century townhouse on a prime tree-lined street in Greenwich Village for $23.3 million, more than twice what it had paid for the property just over two years ago. This transaction was the most expensive closed sale of last week, according to city records. The nearly 23-foot-wide Greek Revival brick building at 146 Waverly Place was built in 1905 and had a classic front stoop. It was a vacant eight-unit apartment house when Ascend Builders and his business partners bought it for $10.2 million in December 2013. They returned it to a single family residence, investing about $6.5 million more over 21 months in a top to bottom renovation that included numerous updates and an addition on the below ground level. After clustering around 57th Street for the last several years, super tall condominiums, which are converted by buyers, coveted rather by buyers for their views are turning up in other neighborhoods. Among the latest is 180 East 88th Street, a 48-unit high-rise up, up on the Upper East Side and was built by DDG and Global Holdings that will stretch to 520 feet. While that elevation is dwarfed by buildings that soar beyond 1,000 feet along the so-called Billionaire's Row around West 57th Street, it is significant in an area where only about three dozen buildings of 400 feet or higher. This is according to the Council on Tall Buildings and Urban Habitat, a group that certifies building heights. The developer said the height is a major selling point because it offers 360-degree views that are mostly unobstructed. And on the heels of that news, elected officials and a neighborhood in Manhattan uh, submitted plans last Thursday aiming to cap the height of a new apartment tower in the Sutton Place area on the east side here in Manhattan at roughly 25 stories. And in the process... Stop a nearly 900-foot-tall luxury tower proposed for that neighborhood. The East River 50s Alliance's proposal, which would alter the uh, Manhattan neighborhood zoning, was also signed by three city elected officials who could end up voting on that, too. The plan would impose a height cap of 260 feet east of First Avenue between East 52nd Street and East 59th Street. I'm in favor of that. It was designed to prevent the Mm -hmm. construction of super-tall condo towers, buildings topping 1,000 feet tall. Uh, the city is seeking uh, a developer to raise most of a hill 's Kitchen block and build hundreds of apartments, retail space, and a new 150,000-square-foot facility for a nonprofit that currently owns property there. The New York City Economic Development Corporation is expected to announce Wednesday plans to open a bidding process for two development sites bounded by 10th Avenue between West 40th and West 41st Street. This site uh, could house about seven hundred apartments, and a selected developer will be will likely have to designate about forty percent of those total units built as affordable uh, that 's affordable housing. Additionally, the winning bidder will need to set aside a portion of the block for elements of a future. Number 7 train subway station and will need to build a new facility for Covenant House New York, a nonprofit that provides shelter along with the educational and employment programs to homeless adolescents. Not a bad idea. The duplex penthouse at Abby Rosen's 100 East 53rd Street condo tower is expected to hit the market for a cool $65 million, a $10 million jump from the previously reported price tag. I was surprised by the story. The 6,700-square-foot midtown penthouse will take up the 60th and 61st floors of the 94-unit luxury condominium and hold four bedrooms, and four bathrooms. Rosen's RFR Holdings was previously expected to ask $55 million for that duplex, but as the Real Deal first reported last year, making it the priciest unit in the building with a projected total sellout of nearly $762 million. With the price hike, the penthouse is now asking $9,600 per square foot. Leonard Steinberg of Compass has that listing and its 63-tower condo. Let's see what happens. It's unclear how many condos uh, at the property are under contract so far. And finally, serial flipper Scott Barmer, whose day job is running mm. hedge fund SAB Capital Management, is selling once again in the Hamptons. According to the New York Post, Barmer, who purchased 6.2 acres of oceanfront on Lily Pond Lane in East Hampton in spring 2014 for $93.9 million, is in contract to sell the three parcels for $110 million. The deal was off-market and brokered by Ed Petrie of Compass. The buyer is rumored to be David Tepper, Who, of course, denies that? You know, $93 million, flipping for $110 million, Lily Pond Lane. First, I say, whoever would leave Lily Pond Lane in East Hampton? Not me. Well, but I guess people do. It's not bad at all. Uh, anyway, let's get on with it. Brian Lewis is here. He was yes. named one of Manhattan's premier brokers by New York Living Magazine. And recently, People Magazine named him uh, his video marketing as the most inventive the real estate world has ever seen. We're going to talk about that <laughs> because I watch every one of them and I don't miss you one. He also
2: said the weird. Can I actually take...
1: They said the weirdest, too. Well, I left that out of the copy because well, I, like I
0: didn't it. see that. I like it a lot. Nice. Actually. That's a compliment, right? <laughs> exactly. We like that.
1: Inman named him the top one of the top 10 most innovative agents in the USA, and the Wall Street Journal named him in the top 150 in the USA. He works as a top agent at Halstead Property in their Upper West Side office and has done so for the last 16 years. That's where I met Brian. He was born in Richmond, Virginia, raised in Atlanta, Georgia, and Charlotte, North Carolina. Brian realized his lifelong dream when he moved to New York City. So I say from bellhop to broker... To the stars. <laughs> huh? This is the story of Brian Lewis. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for having me in here, Vince. It's so good to see you. Pleasure. You know, I know you well, but my audience uh, is going to get to know you better today. So, you know, everybody has a dream to come into New York City. You know, from wherever we we are born and raised. I was from upstate New York, so my dream to come into the city was a you know a big one. And I made us, but but so my first question to you is: So, why New York City? What 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 was the lure or what was the attraction of a city? As big as we are in, in lights and, and fame and whatever else. Well,
2: when I was a kid, um, I watched a lot of Sesame Street. And they had stoops. <gasps> and I thought, what the heck is There a you have stoop? it. And, I mean, clearly, it made an impression. And this was an environment with a lot of different cultures and a lot of different viewpoints and characters. It was Sesame Street was PBS. Now they're on HBO, I think, right?
3: And they moved to but, HBO, uh, yeah. How uh, beautiful is that though. I've never <laughs> heard anybody say that in Sesame, was Sesame Street, Street. So is it in so indicative it of New was, York City. And
2: then yeah, as I got older it became Saturday Night Live. Because this was where it was all happening. This is the the big bad city. And coming from Richmond, we lived outside of the city. And then when we lived in Charlotte we lived outside of the city. And then we lived in Atlanta, we lived outside of the city. Ah. So I always wanted to be where the action was. And so when we would go downtown to see Christmas ornaments and the lights and the life of a city, I just, my heart raced. I felt like that's where life was happening. So when I got, uh, I went to William and Mary in Virginia and I graduated in 91 and I had a little bit of money in my pocket just from graduation money. So I took it and I came right up to New York. Wow. And I couch surfed and that was 1991. Was that the first time you were here in New York? No. Uh, no. no. In 1988. Gosh, I'm old. Uh, <laughs> 1988, Not as old as me, my I, friend. I came up here right out of high school having i was doing a one-man show at bush gardens in virginia it was a lot of fun and i was a 17 year old guy with a job at bush gardens i just got out of high school and was about to start college and i had this performing show and i was going to be a theater major at william and mary which i did and it was fun i mean whose life was better than that 1980s looking like kirk cameron big crazy curly hair and you're working at bush gardens in a one-man show and that was a lot of fun but i got to know a director there a really nice guy and he Moved on from Bush Gardens and came up to New York to direct a show off Broadway, and put me in it. Wow! I will say it was off off Broadway, right? <laughs> so it was over the on... theater is theater, is especially theater, when you're starting out. I up. was a kid. I was 18. I was right out of uh, high school, and I came up here. <laughs> I remember working at Pizzeria Uno at Third oh, Avenue in the East Village. Oh, the and I East lived in Alphabet Road. City behind Tompkins Square Park, which is a very different experience in 1988-89. That's what Jonathan Larson wrote about in Rent. It was wild. <laughs> it was wild. Thank and you. And it was right. a different experience. So this kid from the South came up here, and I, I did the show, which I played a character that was like a fish out of water, a kid that kind of falls into this urban environment. So I wasn't even acting, because I was living that every day, and then waiting tables at night. And I think, I think that Uno's is now called The Smith or something like that on third avenue mm-hmm. right so that's how I first came to New York and it was like the big bad wild city this was pre cleanup of Times Square era so I was intoxicated enthralled and scared you know what-less uh-huh. every day of my life here and I thought goodness I, maybe New York is too much for me. Mm -hmm. And the place I lived in was a walk-up with a bunch of actors in it. And Mm -hmm. it was the East Village. So I went back to college and I was debating, do I go to Los Angeles? Do I go to New York? And New York scared me more. So I came to New York.
1: Good so, for you. you know, you, 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 you worked as an actor. You did some stuff. You know, you were fairly successful in that. You know, act. tell me a little bit about the bellhop stuff. So, how did, was that sort of in between to supplement income while oh, absolutely. you were trying to find that It was work? a
2: way not to get dirty at work. I, 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 as a waiter, I was, I was a horrible waiter. And <laughs> because I would always hang out with like one table and just talk to them and get to know them. So, one table would have a freaking great experience. And everybody else in the restaurant is exactly. like, the waiter. They're like, that guy's sucks this guy yeah. and then one person thought it was awesome so that's not the way to make a living as a waiter you're going to have all your bases covered and also as a bellman frankly but i was studying with a, a lady named Uda hagen who's uh, no longer with us but she was a, a zenith you can google her she was a zenith of talent she was unbelievable she was in streetcar named desire with marlon yeah. brando and she became she was really the actor's actor so if Uda hagen asked you to be in her class you it scared the crap out of you, and you were excited, and you did it. You did not say no to Hagen. She had a handful of actors that she liked, and at the end of her career, I, I don't know if she liked me, but she got. I was in her class, and I happened to live on Bank Street, and I was in a relationship where I was, uh, I was hot for teacher, this teacher that I had in college moved on anyway that's a whole nother it's a whole nother radio show (laughs) and I was living uh mostly we have plenty of (laughs) times. we have plenty of time uh but I lived on bank street and frankly
4: that's nice there
2: was Uta studio and frankly I didn't even know much I didn't know what a get that was I just thought well there's an acting studio right down the street I'll audition I got in and then I realized who she was And that's the same way I went to William & Mary. I was four years old or five years old. We were walking through Colonial Williamsburg, as good Southern families do. And I said, I want to go to school there. It could have been the worst school in the world. It was just pretty. And I thought, I I have to go to school there. And that's the only school I applied to. And I got in. (laughs) So it was. I see this happening to me a lot. Like I go, that's what I want early on. And I work toward it somehow. I just I keep it in my head. And I did that with Uta Hagen. And I got in. And I started doing that with commercials on TV and the soaps in the 90s, playing day players. I never scored a contract. And there was a casting director once that said, I don't understand that. Uh, You really... I mean, I look okay now, but you were perfect in for the songs. '90s. I was all that, you know.
3: <laughs> uh, but
2: but I had fun, and I did. I did. I never did enough of what I wanted. Like I, I kind of got stuck in that. It was nine oh two one oh days, and mm-hmm. all that auditioning for those kind of shows. And when you first get out there, at twenty one to twenty five, the competition is thick
3: mm-hmm.
2: with people, but it weeds out. You know, some become bellmen. And then they become Mm -hmm. real
1: estate agents. Mm -hmm. Let's hold a thought on that. We've got to go to commercial. You are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away.
0: Streaming live. The leader in internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. We're ready now. Visit Blue Realtygroup.com. That's BLU Realty Group.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco.
1: And we're talking to Brian Lewis, superstar agent here in New York City from Halstead Property. So, you know, uh, you say prior to your real estate career, your only connection to real estate was that you and your family moved a lot. Uh, Has that really prepared you for, you know, what you are involved in today? I mean... I I think so. Because everybody says, how do you become a real estate agent and how do you train for it? And you know this is
2: an industry of orphans. That's what I say. Unless you're born with a name like Trump or you're born with a name... (laughs) your family's business i think that you come at it i mean maybe that's changing actually but i think you come at it as an orphan from something else and and it's a second or third career right that's certainly the case here i i came here to be an actor i did some of that maybe not as much as i wanted to but life is long y'all watch out and Uh then and then I went to the Actors Fund. There was a strike. I could not audition. So I was doing these big commercials. And in the 90s, I was the Head and Shoulders guy and the McDonald's guy and the voice of the U.S. Army. And I did a lot of stuff. And so I made good money, but it was never enough for for my taste. Um, When I first met
1: you, you came off of a big movie. And I'm trying to remember. A Beautiful Mind. A Beautiful Mind. For Russell Crowe for four months. And frankly, I
2: only had one little line in it, but I'd never really spent four months on a film set with Ron Howard or Russell Crowe or anybody like that Roger Deakins the uh the wow, camera guy. That's and, top and, shelf. It was a lot of fun. So I, I was asked by Russell. He made me audition for the role and they said, oh, look, he fires people. Like, he's tough. So we we hit it off to a degree. Oh, we weren't ever friends, but he was a tough boss. But I got on a film set for four months and I got to learn what everyone nice. did. I was a stand-in, which is the, weird. I mean, it's not really an acting job. You're not really a crew
1: job. So but you're no one, learning the business, though. I watched everything. Yeah. It's like
2: making a documentary. He made me get off book every day for my scenes. Yeah. And he made me wow. run the scenes while He stood behind the camera. So there I was, Jennifer Connelly, Ed Harris, doing scenes with them. And I was sort of like, do I act it or do I just kind of hit my mark? Or I don't want to overstep. It's not about me. I'm a piece of furniture right now. But he would always shout out, act it, Brian. You got Ron Howard watching. Um, So we had fun. I had fun, but I also had to learn patience. And I had to learn a lot about having someone, um, how to work with big egos because was, was I have a big ego but I learned the well, merits of of reining it in a bit
1: Well the real estate is also mm. a, is also a profession of big egos at times and I think you know probably your background or anybody coming from an acting background uh, is best suited for this because you know it's just like anything else or what they say you're only as good as your last gig. That's right. That's it. So you've got to kind of make it work for you. You,
2: you know, also learn how to play a room. So, correct. if this were a room full of 300 people, like I had last week at the Inman Connect here in New York, that's a different mm-hmm. talk, mm-hmm. right? And not necessarily the content, but the audience. And mm-hmm. if I'm showing a home to someone who is, you know, Multi billionaire, and they have an expectation of service. That's a different showing. If I'm working downtown with a friend who is an actor who got a couple gigs, he's doing a walk up for Hold Your Breath America, $500,000 or $600,000 mm-hmm. for a walk up little mm-hmm. place in the back with no light, that's a different showing. Mm-hmm. But the through line is the service. And what I got out of the hotel industry. And by the way, I'll get to all of your questions circuitously, ultimately. Um, the hotel industry really instilled that in me, the Ritz-Carlton, the Four mm-hmm. Seasons. Mm-hmm. It was a little rigid for my taste. You know, It was the, certainly my pleasure. You, but you have to kind of get into their shell of thinking in order for that to become part of your DNA. And so what I mm. learned from them is that you really have to over-deliver in a nice way. And people will remember the feeling that you create more than what really happened. hmm and so treat them well, treat them with dignity, treat them with respect, serve them well. And that really came in to my life in real estate too because I, I don't always hit a home run. I don't. I fail every day and that's what keeps me up and keeps me rocking. But I have some great successes too. When I was a kid, you mentioned the moving. We moved a lot because my dad, he didn't have the ability <clears throat> financially or time-wise, he had us when we were, he was young to go to college, to go to grad school. He could have been one of the great minds of business, my dad. He really has the fire. But that was stoked by my mother, who also comes from a similar background. So they were aspirational. And just to keep us in the middle class, I think was a bit of a challenge. Mm. So we moved where the jobs were, where the opportunities were, where dad could get a gig. The educated guys... The jobs came to them. Mm -hmm. We chased it. So we moved all around the South from, you know, DC area to Roanoke to Atlanta to Charlotte. And I went to four high schools. I just thought that's what happened. I thought in the spring, a for sale sign is part of life. Like, I knew how to mow the grass around the for sale sign and <laughs> weed whack it, and I could clean Like a military kid, right? Yeah, like a military kid, business military. Sure. Because my dad was with the Sara Lee Corporation and mm-hmm. Latex Corporation and Planners Peanuts and whatever the food industry was. Mm-hmm. He became man of the year with Sara Lee Corporation around the world, global. Wow. One at his level had ever done that. And they were always being wined and dine and trips. It was the 80s. It was like the big 80s, and they got... Taken to all these big eighties and places, big business in the eighties, big 80s. business, yeah. big eighties, and he was a climber, and he was he did it, he rocked it, and he only just quit working last year. He worked for a dairy co-op and re- pushed milk around the state of Virginia and Delaware and Maryland, always mm-hmm. doing well. So. Sales, number one. Watching my dad work in office when he came into it. He had a presence. He was liked. He was admired. He he got things done. Mm. He would bitch and moan to us later. You know, I, I watched both sides. I saw conflict. I saw conflict resolution with him and my mom. It was, you know, Beautiful. when money is always an issue. It's hard. That's always a, bra- a backbreaker for any relationship. So yeah. I got to see that. We, we are anchored in our faith. I'm Methodist, but we're not like, mm-hmm. you know, throwing it around in anybody's face so we have a faith we have a, a deep family connection we're not perfect people but i got to see that and i, I knew when a, a real estate agent was good when my parents were really happy and when it was seamless absolutely and i got to watch that in action i never said i want to do that i never said that but i just i kind of i saw a few as a kid they'd meet us at you know the airport or the train station and we would be picked up and ushered around and it was that stereotypical 1980s
3: mm-hmm.
2: woman with big hair <laughs> like, <laughs> usually the i wasn't gonna
1: say that but yes, they're definitely. awesome
2: because those and i i work with that spirit of person even here in new york and some people dismiss that but i gotta tell you they know where the bodies are buried they know, <laughs> they know this industry and the, and the shiny new young guys and gals come at it. Well, and it's different. Yeah, yeah. They know, and they'll be there to the end and that they have the best resources. They know the most people and they rock. And that's why they're easily parodied because they're, they're rock stars. Yeah. But they're quiet they're rock big, stars. Yeah. yeah. So yes, all of that was helpful. I think I answered a few questions
1: there no well you did but so to segue into you know the the career as a real estate agent you know everybody starts somewhere and like, like we talked about you know some people come from a second and third career these days it seems like people are coming out of college and wanting to do this for a whole variety of reasons. But how do you find success in a city as big as New York, as competitive as New York? And what, what are we, 15,000 agents? I mean, I, I keep losing, losing track. So how do you find success in a, in a field that is really very competitive, can be cutthroat, and you know, not loyal? I mean, people cannot be loyal. To, most often aren't loyal to us. But you have found that niche uh, to really make it work. I
2: often put blinders on in life. I really do. I I try to keep the noise out and keep the blinders on and know what my goal is. And I really, I think that it's important to to sort of set your mind to something. And I'm a visual guy. I don't write out goals. I just see them like as a kid, seeing the college of William and Mary, knowing I wanted to be part of that at freaking four years old. Not that that was, it was just what I wanted seeing, uh, New York and HB Studio and knowing oh, that would be convenient and good and getting into it. I, I, putting my mind to it. I know that sounds simplistic, but there's so much stuff where people are watching the competition a lot. It's almost like an athlete. Just keep your eye on your game and have be a person of integrity and listen to people and be a person of your word mm. and do your best and be good at messing up. If you mess up, know how to Get uh, out of it, not on just how to be crafty, but Finesse. own it. Yeah, own and just it. own it. Own I ah, messed up. Okay, now, now what? And I mess up every day. We all do, we all do because we're we human beings. We're here, we're imperfect beings. And but keep your mind on just it's almost like climbing the stairs, right? Mm. And I'm also a person that likes to have fun, so I try to find fun in it. There are aspects of this business that to me aren't fun. I try to stay on the track of what is fun for me for me it's listings i like producing things i like to to build the show that people want to see that's that theater thing Mm -hmm. i think Mm -hmm. that to me is exciting and it just builds and builds and leverage every bit of success that you have from one little sale work that throw some fertilizer on that talk about that And define yourself by it, and step by step by step. Sixteen years, I've done
1: it. You are a listing agent premier. I mean, you know, I've known you for many many years. Fourteen of those sixteen years, and you are definitely a listing agent. And one of the things I think that sets you apart, and I want you to talk a little bit about this, because again, there's so much competition out there. So many of us are doing the same things, but you have this, and and it's obviously your your theater and your acting background. You have this video phenomenon going on that you you video every one of your listed properties you not only show rooms like a virtual tour you tell a story you title it you're acting in it and i have to tell you something and i mean this not just because i'm a friend of yours but i don't miss one of them i watch them and i wa- and i send them out to my people to watch <laughs> Tell it's us nice. about how you can... We have a minute left. We're going to go into the next segment because I'm not letting you go. But anyway, <sighs> before we go for one more minute, how how do you do this? I mean, and, and how much time does this take for you to produce these things?
2: Well, I'm doing one today and it'll take about an hour and a half. And that doesn't sound like long, but we don't really know what we're going to do until we get in the room. If you want to see some of them, guys, humor me. It's BrianKLewis.com. Brian with an I. Brian K. Lewis, L-E-W-I-S.com. And you can see some of them. Look at... Uh, two in particular, the People Magazine one. They they called Forty Five Christopher Street Seven G, the best real estate video and weirdest. I said that at the beginning, ever. We did that like in an hour. Which one was Uh, that? uh, It's not about the time, it's about the fun you're having. And, you know, Halstead embraced the video thing early on. I was lit up like a Christmas tree because I thought (laughs) that is what I want to do. And I'm just going to have fun with it. And they do let me, as long as it's not irreverent to the property, the process, or the client, and it brings more eyes to the prize. They love it. And those two are great. I, I, I kind of riff on them. We have fun. We have a, a video crew. Um, I could do a whole segment on video and what I think about it. It's just an added value. It's not why I'm a success. It's just part of that, I think, because I have mm-hmm. fun with it. And I expand the
1: dimensions of my seller's properties. And uh, what, How do your sellers yeah. feel about them when they see them?
2: Some of them are like, what? Um, or they're like, oh, that's great, as long as it brings me
1: more money. You know, that's <laughs> what a seller wants. Brings me traffic, that's brings a, me open house people, brings me more money.
2: And, and also check out 118 E's 60th. I'm going to blast that out this week. That one is the most movie-like. And my friend Sue Goldman, who's a dear friend and she said, you know what? I don't like it. I like you when you're funny. That's just too serious. But my friend Craig Zaden, who won the Oscar for Chicago, said, amazing, you mm. have merged... Movies with real estate, uh, unbelievable. So he did like it. Uh, so you know what? It's a mood. Every one of them is different, and some of them are really horrible, and some of them are really <laughs> fun. And you know what? It's okay. And I just get them out there, and it's a, it's a, it's a way to change the, the marketing up. That's, All right, that's well, let's, let's like.
1: hold it there for a second. We right. have to take a break. First, you were listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away.
0: We're ready now. Visit Blue Realtygroup.com. That's BLURealtygroup.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at one 866 472 5788 That's one 866 472 5788 Or send an email to VRocco at Blue Realty Group.com. That's VRocco at BLU Realtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. Everybody,
1: we are back. Um, and we're talking to Brian Lewis. We're keeping him uh, for one more segment. So
4: Yay.
1: we have a couple <clears throat> more questions to ask you. You know, I'm, I'm very curious as to how you maintain and expand your, your circle of clients. Because, again, you're in this business for 16 years. I've declared you a superstar success. You do very well. Uh, you live a nice life. How do you maintain what you've built over these years? And then how do you find more? That's what most people out there ask me, you know, uh, when I talk about real estate or how you know it can be a lucrative field.
2: How do you how do you maintain this? I keep asking for more. That's mm-hmm. I, I think that when you stop asking for more in life, you die. I think that's what death is: is being satisfied. I'm not. You know, we are in the best country in the world. We really are. <clears throat> I was listening this morning at the gym very early. To Hamilton, mm. you know, the musical Hamilton. I still can't I, get
1: to see it, it's, man. It's,
2: it's remarkable, but then go listen to it. So go on Spotify and like check it out. Yeah. It's amazing, but it, it really in the, in, in, it embodies a spirit that I think that I like to have. It makes me, feel, you know, the chill bump moments in life mm-hmm. where you're like, you you're you're not going to waste your shot. That's the theme mm-hmm. of this. Mm-hmm. This is your shot. You're here. I don't know what you believe about why you're here, who, what, this is it. And maybe you get recycled or whatever, uh, reincarnated if you believe that, recycled. Um, but this is it. So every day I ask for more, and I, you know, when I wanted uh, a family, I put it out there, mm. and I got it. So it's about lining up what you want, putting it out there, and and really bringing it to yourself because yeah. you can. I think of that little boy in Williamsburg at four years old, naming where he wanted to go to school. I was planting seeds, mm-hmm. and I worked toward it. I earned it. And I, and I got into that class. And I didn't just work as a bowman. I went to the Four Seasons because I figured those are the richest people. So they're going to tip me better. Mm-hmm. And then when that changed and I had to go, I went to the Actors Fund and I filled out a bubble sheet and said, I don't know what to do. There's an actor strike. I can't even do commercials and pretend I'm an actor right now. And they said, well, looking at your results, you should be in real estate. And I said, sign me up. So if it feels right, your internal GPS, roll with it. So when I'm with clients, I have a billionaire client who came in and he bought at 520 park an entire floor. That's my biggest sale. And that's gonna score like 22 million dollars. That doesn't close yet because they're building it. Right. I asked him, please did you enjoy this? Did you have fun? I did. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna have more fun when that check comes. But um tell your friends if I can have, you know, I'm if I if you had a good Good ride. I'm here to help all of your friends. And I tell people
1: that. It's like they say in sales, Brian, if you don't ask for the order, you're not going to get it. You're never going to get it. I tell people
2: in the listing, in my own way, um, you know what? I I really would like this job, and I have time and resources for you. And I think that's important for people to know. I don't always get it. I don't. There's a lot of competition here. There's a lot of competition around this country. Lots. But I always take away something from it. And sometimes I ask them why I didn't. Really, And sometimes they'll say, oh, I just thought you were too big for me. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. So you have to adjust your marketing Mm. plan for that because nobody wants to feel like they're a number ever, ever, Mm. ever, ever. And that's true at the Four Seasons. That's true anywhere. And even as a young actor, sometimes I felt like a number. That's not a good feeling. That's not at all a good feeling. Yeah.
1: That's not a good feeling. Tell us about the Chris Maloney story. I mean, because it's been written up in the press. You know, I know it was listed for a lot more money than it eventually sold for under your your tutelage, I'm sure. Hey, but give us a little bit of um, uh, of the background to that and how you, you were successful in making that deal finally sell and close.
2: Sure. Um, I got a call from an attorney that I deal with a lot. And he. So said, we're talking hey, about
1: the actor Chris Maloney, by the way. Was on Law and & Order and
2: some other things. Nice right. guy. Never really had FaceTime with him. Only phone time and emails. Uh, his wife, lovely, unbelievable. looks like Robin Wright, gorgeous, love her. Mm. Had FaceTime with her. But anyway, they, they, they needed to sell this place. They had a tenant in there and uh, the attorney said, why don't you go talk to them? They're meeting a few people. So I did. I don't know why they chose me. I presented, I talked to them. I played the room I was in. She didn't want to be sold. So I couldn't be like, hey, I've got all this and I do this and I did that. It's just, I played the room I was in, which was a quick meeting at her apartment. Um, and i got it and i told them the sober honest truth i I told them whatever number you pick i'll sell it i'll sell the number you pick but i please don't pick me for price pick me for strategy pick the man with or woman pick the person with the plan not the price price is nimble it can be changed at any minute the market will decide your value not me not you and if you're a real seller we're going to find a really sweet place for you Everything in your building is not has been sitting there with aspirational prices. So let's not base our reality on fantasy. Let's base it on reality. And here's the reality I see.
3: Mm-hmm. If I'm
2: wrong, you might get a bidding war and go up. And if I'm right, you'll probably be very close. We chose a strategy. They went with it, and they did it. I think they weren't ready when they hired the other agent. They had a, a higher price, mm-hmm. and they had a weird strategy. They throw in a car or something. It was it was one of those like, hey, pay up and you get a car if you're a broker. I find that a, a smart seller does everything they can to appeal to the greed of the buyer, not the broker. Interesting. I, I know, know what a broker just cause he's gonna get a car is gonna find a buyer to overpay. Right. What kind of it broker does, is that hey, if they're willing work. to let that happen? Right. But it yeah. even doesn't work that I mean, way. Yeah. You know, look, you pay your commissions. I always say, look, a commissions are a wonderful way to incentivize, mm-hmm. but that's only part of it. Pay your agents. I have a vested interest in saying that, but it's true. Whenever I've sold something, I pay full on. And then the other thing is to price it right and, and choose the person with the plan and the reach. And if you don't like their silly videos, fine, but it could add to your value. It costs you nothing more. The guy's spending more of his own money. I do. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's kind of it. And that's how we got Chris's place sold. He's a great guy, but it's, I, I consider that a failure unless he gives me referrals. I always say, mm. I don't want one sale from you. I'd love to earn your respect, earn your trust, your loyalty.
1: And don't be shy to ask for the referrals, that's actually, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. I mean that's yeah. what it comes down to. And at the end of the day, you know, we have to remember, just like in the acting business, you know, you're only as good as your last gig. You're you're an independent contractor. You get paid for what you do, you get paid for what you sell. But in the middle of all that, or in between that, you have to find you know, the next person and the next customer, whether it's a buyer or a seller, in your case, seller. And do you, obviously you get a lot of referrals. Is that where the the majority of your business comes from?
2: Uh, You know what? A a good third of it. I'd like to say all of it. I I work hard. I mail to buildings. I still do the fundamentals because I don't see this as a hunting game. I see it as a farming game. (laughs) So you're planting the seeds.
1: That's very interesting analogy.
2: In that that first field is the field you're you're grooming right now and that's going to be your crop. One of the fields is where you're planting and getting ready. And the third field is resting and preparing for something else. (laughs) Take care of yourself. Do things that make you happy. If your GPS goes off and it doesn't feel right, drop it. And listen to what you feel. Find things to focus on that make you feel attractive. Literally and figuratively attractive. Take the time for that because people like to be there's a feeling. It's not about your haircut and your, your amazing body and all that. That's part of it, maybe, if that's your thing. But it's more about how people feel around you mm. and if they trust that. And if you don't feel attractive one day, then go and hang out and do computer work and, and do that. But get out there, too. So many brokers just hang at that office, and the money's on the street. And get out there. Join alumni groups. Volunteer. But do it for the right reasons, because you really want to. Um, Don't always be that guy just looking for that next thing. We all do that, but that's a hunter. Farm and groom and make it a career that lasts a while, and you'll have fun in the process.
1: And feel good about yourself. That's a good one because, you know what, this is a business that we can get knocked down more than not, and so if we don't feel good about ourselves and present ourselves every day in our best light, in our best way, You're not going to be successful. And again, that goes for a lot of professions, but I think in our business, most especially. And also, yeah, you're right. The business is out there on the streets. You know, I once had a manager when I was selling technology, and, you know, we would complain. I was in my 20s, you know, brand new at IBM. And he used to say, you know what, you're all complaining about where are the customers, where are the customers. He took us to the window, and we were at this beautiful glass tower on West 57th Street, the IBM building. And we looked out, and he said, you see all of those buildings, you see all of those windows. Mm There is a customer behind every one of those windows. There's a customer behind every one of those windows. Just go and find them and come up with ways to, fu- to talk to them and to, to tell them who you are and what you do and who you work for and what you're selling, et cetera. And guess what? Wow. Did That's it true. work? That's anyway, true. Brian Lewis, we are out of time. I want to say thank you to you. You can find Brian's videos or any of his listed properties on BrianKLewis.com. He works for Halstead Property. He's a good friend. He's a good family man, and we love having him here. Thank you so much for being here. here.
2: You guys are awesome, and what you do is very inspirational to me. I appreciate being part of it. Thank you. Thank you, and come Mm. back and see us again. All right. Bye, guys.
1: Bye, guys. Bye. The
0: Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com We're ready. Now visit blue-realtygroup.com. That's b l u realtygroup.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time the number 1 internet talk station where your opinion counts. Voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Okay, everybody. We are back, and it's a
1: busy Tuesday morning here in the studio of Good Morning New York. And my panel has just arrived. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> we are talking to Rachel Altschuler from Douglas Elliman, Ivy Ray from Blue Realty Group, Deborah Hoffman from Town Residential, and Niall Lundgren from Compass. So, how is everybody today? Doing all right. Excited, all to, our- excited to be on for the last segment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking out the window and I'm like, where is everybody? No one is here. I'm Well, in the green room, of they course. Expanded, they expanded the studio and we, were, we were hanging out in the front <laughs> area. So <laughs> yeah. It's all good. There we go. So anyway, we'll make that up next week. We uh, Let's get right to it because we don't have too much time here. But when you live in New York, money just vanishes from your wallet. You could be walking home from work with $100 a your wallet and not have a cent left by the time you reach your door. It's just the way things are here in New York. What we don't always know is where the hell the money goes. I mean, I say this to myself every day. Where does all the money go? Uh, Just on the way home. So, uh, we are seeing, you know, we're trying to save money at the same time as we're trying to, you know, spend money to do whatever. But, you know, my question to anybody, everybody is, why are we so much more expensive here in the city and where really does all this money go? I mean, I just don't understand why. I mean, if you're walking home here in New York city, if you're walking home in the suburbs, someplace, anywhere, why is it so much more, 10 times more expensive here in New York city? Customers ask me this all the time when they're moving into the city for the first time. So it's not a question, you know, from Mars, where does the money go? I think a, the cost of living is, is, is much more
2: expensive in Manhattan. Um, Cost of goods in general is more expensive. I feel that, you know, one thing I always say to my friends who are out of towners, I say, you know, if I leave my apartment, no matter what happens, on a minimum I'm gonna spend a hundred bucks. I don't even I don't even know how it happens. I go to Dwayne Reed. I don't either. I buy a couple things. Dwayne Reed is like a CVS or a Walgreens or a pharmacy for those who don't know. Uh, I buy a couple things, it's like eighty dollars, and then you know, I might pick up a, a slice of pizza and that's six bucks, you know, and the next thing you know, it's a
1: hundred dollars, and you, you know, you're outside for thirty minutes. So. Or an Uber ride home is eighteen dollars <laughs> and an Uber ride the next morning is it's another crazy. twelve or fifteen dollars. It's like really what's going on here? Yeah. Also,
4: along the lines of what Niall just said, we are really a walking culture here. We could say you walk in other cities, but you really don't. Don't. And you don't because we're a walking culture here, as Niall just said. You go out specifically to Dwayne Reed, Walgreens, any of these places to buy your drugstore stuff. So you buy a bunch of stuff, but because we have so many small merchants, we also we pass by the pizza place and oh, you know what? I got to pick up my dry cleaning, which I, I left at exactly. this place. Whatever. It's all these little errands, and oh, that's a new store. Oh, is that cute? Let me go in. Because we're a walking culture, you're physically passing these places on foot. And that sucks you in because its it really is a small town.
1: It, it's a very small town. And I mean, you know, I, I laugh about it, but just on the walk home or even on the ride home, you stop in the corner store, you know, where all your neighborhood stuff is. And, you know, you can really go through $100 in just one little <laughs> <It's> <laughs> transit crazy. trip. It's, it's out of control. If you're looking to buy an apartment in New York City, you've probably noticed that condos are more expensive than co-ops. But... We, are, um, we were amazed to read in the most recent Manhattan Market Report that the median price of a co-op at the end of 2015 was $749,000, whereas the median price for a condo was over uh-huh. $1.7 million. Are you really getting more for your money when you buy a condo? The audience out there doesn't necessarily understand the difference between co-op and condo. and We try to explain it you know, as we go through the, the, the different shows here. But, I mean, are you getting more for your money when you buy a condo?
3: You absolutely are. Um, I don't know if the price differential is valid, meaning is it really worth 30% more to have flexibility on a condo? I think that's subjective, but I do think you get a lot more as far as the ability to rent rent out the apartment after closing, not have restrictions on pied-a-terres, guarantors, co-purchasing. Who's looking into who gave you the money? Is is the gift letter notarized? That's exactly what I'm getting at. So yeah. for that
1: extra twenty yeah. or thirty percent bump up, I yeah. mean, does it really make sense for somebody? For to, most, to it do? does. For yeah. most, okay. it does.
3: Really, just the ability to purchase. And plus, not not you know disclosing all of yeah. your financials, especially when
2: you're getting it to higher price points. You know, folks are not as willing to say, you know, here's a whole kit and caboodle. Yeah. You know, especially. If you're buying a new development, although
3: Nile, a lot of co- the condos are turning into co-ops in a lot of cases now, so you I've can't. Done, I've done those deals. You yeah. think you yeah. can't disclose it, then yeah. all of a sudden mm-hmm. they say we need to see this, mm-hmm. and the condo Rachel buyers, define
4: what you mean by that. How the condos are turning into co-ops, the from what they they're demanding. Yeah, to see. I, yeah. I yeah. did a
3: deal, mm-hmm. for instance, in Tribeca on Chambers Street, where the investor bought it in an LLC in an entity for the reason of I don't want to disclose anything personal. And a quick, easy turnaround, two weeks, okay, that'll be fine. The board ended up delaying it by months for approval, asking for money in escrow because it was an LLC. They don't allow entities anymore. And that was a policy that recently had changed because someone didn't pay their monthlies and mm-hmm. then everyone suffered. So she had to disclose her all the documents, all her financials, which... To be honest, you know, at that point you say, do I get out of the contract? If you can, yes. If not, then you got to move forward and play ball with the board.
1: You are absolutely correct with that. And I'm starting to see little drips and drabs of that. I represent a building in Midtown West and I have for the last, I don't know, seven years. There's yeah. everything going on. Yeah. I mean, They're, assessments. Really? They're
3: putting in a flip tax for yeah. the condo. Uh-huh. Really? Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. And there's assessments, you know, for, you know, to, to build up the reserve fund. I mean, there are a lot of things going on in condo today that is so co-op-like oh. or that we used to only see in co-ops. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people are beginning to say, well, you know, why is this happening or what is that about? And, you know, at the end of the day, it's always down to what the managing agent or the co-op or the condo, rather, mm-hmm. board wants. But it's becoming a little more difficult, I think, to to explain to people, you know, what this is all about, why we have so many changes, and then to justify why the price of a one bedroom mm-hmm. should be one three when you can go buy a co op for you know six hundred thousand dollars. Deborah, well, you want actually, to actually yes,
4: this is very interesting. The reason that condos are having these assessments to build at the reserve fund is because ever since the new banking rules during the recession about how mm-hmm. a lender will not lend in a building that has more than twenty five percent of the units rented out, if you have a large reserve fund, because most condos do not have reserve funds at all because they're real property and separate units, if you have a large reserve fund, that will counteract it. So there are certain buildings I'm thinking of off the top of my head that have more than more or close to 50% rented out, but they have gigantic reserve funds. So I understand that's very fiscally smart for a building if they have a lot of renters to have a big reserve fund and have that assessment. But I'm still kind of blown away on the flip tax mm-hmm. <laughs> and a few other things. Yeah. Well, I yeah. think, you
1: know, because these buildings are getting smarter or the, these buildings are wanting to have more money. And, you know, yeah. my, my first question is, what do you need it for? You know, if you're a condo, you're not a co-op, you're not paying down a mortgage, you're running the building, you, you know, you need a little bit of money in the bank. In this one particular building that I'm talking about, we just exercised right of first refusal, and the co-op board bought an apartment in this building because the seller tried to sell it on her own and didn't um, stick to the, the price per square foot that I had been getting in that building for years and years and years, and they told her, no way. Now I have the listing, and now I'm selling the apartment, which I should have done. To the, in the beginning, wow! But at the end of the day, so you know they—they're looking at this. My point here is not because I get the listing, but the point is the board is looking at this, the managing agent is looking at this as putting some extra money into the reserve funds of this building because they're going to make a big profit on on the uh, the sale, hopefully, mm-hmm. and that'll put a couple hundred thousand dollars into their into their budget. So everybody needs. To start somewhere, living alone in New York City certainly isn't cheap. In fact, according to the most recent rental market reports, it'll cost you around $2,700 a month to live in Manhattan, $2,500 to live in Brooklyn, in a studio, $2,250 to live in one in Queens. But plenty of people are making it work here. According to the U.S. Census data, over a quarter of households consist of just one person. And in Manhattan, that number jumps to about half the population. How important is it for newcomers to feel like they want to live alone in this town Mm -hmm. versus in a roommate situation, and we've all been there. We've all started in New York City at one point. We've all had roommates. We've all had studios, whatever. How important is it for people to feel like, you know, they own a piece of the rock now, whether you're renting or owning, and I have a good job, but I want to live alone. And this is good for us because this is where we find our customers. But they say to us, I want to live alone, but I really can't afford to.
3: I am finding, I love the conversation of millennials because I am finding including the assistant that we just fired. Uh, I am finding that the millennials... You did? Oh, yeah.
1: Okay. We'll oh, yeah. That. Different
3: story, and I'll talk about it anytime. Okay. Um, next week. Then next week. <laughs> no time today. And uh, they actually prefer roommates. Why? Because they're afraid to be alone because mommy and daddy nurtured them and baby them their whole lives, and they don't want to be alone. And in fact, there was a, um, a report that they statistically they don't stay in a job more than two years whereas our generation i mean we stuck with it we were there for a long time Mm -hmm. i mean it's just amazing so i'm finding that the 20s early 20s they are oh i want to live with roommates i don't care what the size is i just just as long as i can put a wall up and live with two or three people
1: post-college you know dorm situation But my
3: generation your generation i wanted to be alone I just wanted my totally. own space, totally. bring in whoever I want, don't bother me about the dishes, don't tell me I need to take out the garbage. There's nothing better. That's the t- ultimate freedom.
1: I didn't have a roommate. Yeah. I didn't want a roommate, mm-hmm. and I was not going to have a roommate, right. and I just waited until I could afford to live here yeah. and was making enough money to do that. And I said, you know, mm-hmm. you're going to wait a little longer than you may, you may want to, but this is, this is how it is. Mm-hmm. We have to go soon, but just one quick thing. We all played the 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 Powerball a couple of weeks ago, and I know most people out there would say, "Well, if I won one point five billion dollars, and I came home with either nine hundred million or five hundred million, what would you do with that money? How many of us would buy places here in the city? How many of us would buy places <laughs> in the city? Go, Deborah, do it! You would oh, buy-
4: absolutely." I, mean, I, I would definitely, I would buy my dream apartment, but you know, even though we're in the industry, when you're looking for yourself and you have unlimited funds, I'd have to shop around. I'm not going to say out of the blue, I want well, something in 432 Park. Yeah. No, I'm really going to look around to see what I want because <laughs> this is new money. Can
1: I be I your would, broker?
4: I was, yes. <laughs> you could be my
1: broker, but yes. I would not buy in 432 <laughs> no,
3: Park. No, neither I would I, I but know. it's, yeah. No, no, I don't like around, that.
4: Uh, and yeah, look around, Yeah, look around. I'd
3: find the perfect old loft.
4: There you go in well, New York
1: City and then buy a house upstate. And that's what I would do. Pre-war and plans. then buy someplace, you know, mm-hmm. out in the in the country mm-hmm. or by the beach mm-hmm. or whatever. Yep. I joke about it, but you know, when you really think that, you know, and fortunately more than one person won this 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 drawing. Three hundred I mean, three people win five hundred and thirty-eight something million dollars. Well, that's unbelievable. And no matter how successful we think we are, when you get that dropped in your lap all at once, I mean, you know, you have more money than the movie stars, and you have more money than the biggest, you know, ball player are out there in, in the sports world and I just have to wonder what that really means to people I'd, I'd like to take it on and I'd like to try it but maybe <laughs> next time
4: I want $125 <laughs> I, did, did I, I bought have, pizza I bought pizza from my office I didn't even have one number <laughs> it's fantastic. anyway
1: unfortunately we have to go that's Good Morning America. Good Morning New York for this <laughs> week maybe someday Good Morning America thank you for <laughs> joining us and you uh, can catch the show telling. anytime yeah. on podcast or on our website voiceamerica.com for all of us At Voice America all around the world. Thanks for joining us, and we've got to go. We'll see you next time. Bye, everybody.
0: Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco, next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.